Hello there, it's Phil Ryan as always and welcome back to the Story High podcast. And thanks for joining us today, we really, really appreciate it. As you know, we're the home of amazing audio stories and as ever in today's podcast, as usual, we're going to be playing you three short fiction stories and we hope they're going to lift your day. And do remember, as I've said many times before, they cover such a wide range. So there may be a story that's not up your street, but there may be five or six or ten, hopefully, that are completely up your street. Remember, they always run quite short. That's the whole idea of the story hive and the kind of ethos behind it. Short, punchy stories guaranteed to make you smile, shiver, go, oh my God, that's amazing. That's really what we want to do. Now, if you remember, I said a little challenge and I said, could you write a personal story? And we mentioned that last week. But this week, we're going to keep that theme of the challenge going. But this time, again, with just the four pages, why not write a story about a friend, a sibling, a family member, a four page story of a memory, a memory that you had with them and shared with them. And once you've written it, give it to them. I can tell you it's one of the most precious gifts to give someone that you care or love or that you're really, really good friends or really close with because it reminds them of just the impact they've had on your life. Anyway, that was a bit of a tip there. And remember, go to our TikTok. You can see all the writing tips on there. So without further ado, I don't want to keep waffling on about writing, but I've got to try and put some little bits in here because I think it's really important that you know what really stimulates and makes a writer like me work and I'm hoping to instill in you the same love and joy of writing that I have. Now in today's three story collection we've got the first one and this is a bit unusual because it's from a section on the story hive we call random emails and well it's a kind of email exchange so give it a listen and it's called class project. Happy listening. Dear Mrs. Wonston, thank you for your recent communication, which I read with great interest. We, at the Science Department, have always tried to push the envelope, as they say, and hence your son Michael's summer holiday project. Make a miniature model of a nuclear power station. It's important that in our ever-changing world, youngsters really understand where things like energy, food and products actually come from, and understand how things are made and even looking for more sustainability is part of the syllabus. I do hope this clears things up. Feel free to always reach out, but I must in advance say my replies during holiday break time will not always be instantaneous. Sincerely yours, Simon Thomas, Science Tutor. Dear Simon, thank you for your reply. I only wanted to check as Michael, like his father, gets terribly enthusiastic about things, and I wanted to check his project needed the resources he seems to be asking for. Kind regards, Mrs. Wonston. Dear Mrs. Wonston, that's quite all right. Michael is an excellent student, and I'm very, very pleased he's taken the project so seriously. He shouldn't need too much material. We printed a list of things that could be found within the boys' homes. Old parcel boxes, washing-up bottles, etc. We're very keen to encourage recycling at St. Winston's, as you know. Sincerely yours, Simon Thomas, Science Tutor. Dear Simon, sorry to be a bother, but can you give me the exact dimensions of the model? Michael's father says I'm overreacting, but his model does seem quite large. Kind regards, Mrs. Wonston. 
Dear Mrs. Wonster, no, it's not a bother at all. We are here for parent support, as I've already mentioned. We didn't specify a size, but suggested it be practical for the student to display. Sincerely yours, Simon Thomas, Science Tutor. Dear Simon, forgive the tardiness of my reply, but Mother was unfortunately taken ill in Somerset and I went to care for her. Happily, she's back on the mend and I'm home now. Michael's project has considerably advanced since we last spoke. It's now taking up much of the rear part of our garden and seems impressive. Thank you for being such an inspirational teacher. Kind regards, Mrs Wonston. Dear Mrs Wonston, what, what a kind and lovely thing to say. It's much appreciated, but... Just a quick thought, when you say Michael's project is impressive and takes up a large part of your rear garden, can you give me an idea of its size? Sincerely yours, Simon Thomas, Science Tutor. Dear Simon, I've always believed that where praise is due it should be given. I'm not very good with measurements, I'm afraid, as Michael's father does that sort of thing, but from the kitchen window I'd say Michael's structure is now some... 40 feet high and, say, 60 feet long. He's very proud of it and spends hours working down there. Well done for so inspiring a young mind. Kind regards, Mrs Wonston. D -d Dear Mrs Wonston, I urgently need to check something with you. In your last mail, you said you thought the model was 40 feet high and 60 feet long. This, this is not at all what I had in mind. Could you give me some further information, please? A, a photograph would be most useful if you could spare the time. Sincerely yours, Simon Thomas, Science Tutor. Dear Simon, again apologies for the later reply than anticipated. Poor mother had a slight fall that required me to attend to her these past weeks. Happily, though, she's on the mend. I have attached some photographs. It has slightly grown apace. You should be able to see, if you look past the support buildings, the tower and the dome area, that I'd say Michael's model is some 900 feet long and in places at least 70 feet high. We're lucky to have the space, however, but I'm rather annoyed with him as it's taken over one of our lower paddocks. However, his father is keen to encourage him. Kind regards, Mrs Wonston. Dear Mrs Wonston, please pardon my immediate reply. I'm really a little put out with Michael, as I have to confess. Well, I'm not sure this is what I had in mind. Plus, can you confirm the huge plumes of smoke I see rising in the background? There's some kind of effect, I suppose. Now, I'm currently on holiday in Spain until next Thursday, but wondered if I might prevail upon you by visiting to view the project myself, as I fear it may have got a little out of hand. Sincerely yours, Simon Thomas, Science Tutor. Dear Simon, a visit would be lovely. The steam turbines arrived today, which I found very intrusive. However, Michael assures me there's going to be no more external building work. The model does, I have to say, look very impressive. Just for your information, Michael's informed me it goes live tomorrow. Kind regards, Mrs Wonston. Dear Mrs Wonston, can you urgently confirm what you mean by goes live tomorrow? I'm, I'm currently at Marcelone Airport and I'm cutting my holiday short. And I can only impress upon you to ask Michael to halt his project until I've had a chance to look at it. I'm on my way directly and if I can get the next flight, and I cannot stress this last point enough, I fear this could damage the school's reputation, something I'm sure you will agree is something we must avoid. To this end, my colleague Miss Emily Bristow, our physics teacher, has kindly agreed to visit you early tomorrow morning, if that's agreeable. I will arrive as soon as I can. Sincerely yours, Simon Thomas, Science Tutor. Dear Simon, we seem to have a little issue, as unfortunately your email was unread, due to what I believe is called a, a near meltdown. 
I'm rather annoyed as I believe Michael exceeds his instructions from you as it now appears he has in fact built a working model of a nuclear power station. And I have to admit it is very impressive, it is obtrusive, but I'm slightly embarrassed to say he appears to have irradiated much of the local area. The military authorities are still evacuating people from the vicinity and currently his father and myself are in police custody. And I do believe the Atomic Energy Commission has some questions they'd like to ask you. However, what I'd like to know Will this in any way affect his end-of-term results? Kind regards, Mrs Wonston. Well, I hope that one made you smile. It certainly made us laugh and it made me laugh when I was writing it. Now, when we talk about writing, and again, I'm going to do it very briefly. When I wrote Class Project, it was actually based on some emails that I'd actually once read which were not quite as mad and crazy as those, but they were that kind of surreal, terribly polite, terribly polite. And this one actually was a bit of an inspiration to me. So if you're up for it, here comes your next story adventure. And it's called, Thank You For Your Call. And of course, my normal spoiler alert, it could happen. He was a little annoyed. He wasn't stupid. Yes, he was getting on. He wasn't ancient, though. He was just 70. It just wasn't fair, not really. The young woman was trying to help. He was having a little trouble keeping up, that was all. He should have let Bradley sort it out, his son. No, 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 he could do this. He wasn't senile. Just the online world. Always a struggle. His broadband, the call centre. Troubles again. He wouldn't connect. He concentrated hard, her accent a little heavy. He felt a bit bad. Probably in India, badly paid, some vast call centre. Long hours, poor thing. It was the way of the world now. Just a sad fact, to be honest. Outsourcing, Bradley had explained. Cheating people and paying them badly, he'd rejoined. Exploiting people. Bradley had sighed, given him that look he had. He'd left it at that. There was no use getting into an argument about it, really. Their views not exactly on the same page. The girl continued. So that's double back slash two colons then underscore sir. He paused before tapping the keys, resorting to his fail back, his big artist's pad. He'd put it on his desk, carefully writing everything down, just in case. His pen suddenly stopped working. He scribbled harder, angrily. Nothing. Oh, the others were downstairs in the hallway jam jar. For the love of God. Oh, it started working again. All through this, the girl had continued to talk. Had he missed a bit? Now, she said, please to type these numbers, 357904. She carried on, him now cautiously tapping each button on his keyboard. Now, please try that, sir. He pressed a key. Nothing. Not found. Page not found. Brain not found, he thought. This was so frustrating. He just wanted a better connection. This morning, nothing. He couldn't get online at all. He'd unplugged the box, turned the laptop on and off again, three times, still nothing. Then he'd called the help centre. He had their number on his special pad. The girl spoke again. She sounded very calm. Okay. Please try this, please, sir. God, this was, this was hopeless. They'd been at it for 20 minutes now. And he was straining to hear her. 
her accent a bit thick for him. It was racist, wasn't it? To say you couldn't understand someone, wasn't it? He suddenly pictured her face, young, attractive, somewhere in India, smiling, stuck in some grey faceless room, in a tiny cubicle, Mumbai or somewhere, Latvia, who knew nowadays, lousy money. Maybe she had sick parents, she needed a job, things were tight, food was expensive, an abusive husband maybe. She carried on now. Underscore, sir. He paused. Now, 24 slash then lowercase outlook communication, all lowercase but uppercase. Q-Y-Y-Y-B-T, sir? He tapped away, slightly confused. The taskbar filling with a huge and long set of characters. Why couldn't things be shorter? It was ridiculous. She'd explained she couldn't change things, not at her end, it wasn't allowed. The portal was for exclusive client use only. He could increase his speed there too, she said. There would be a charge, minimal. A deal was on that month. She seemed very patient. He appreciated that. He suddenly fought an urging desire to shout, to swear. That, that, you, that wouldn't help. It wasn't her fault, poor thing. Had to be him. Curse this ageing brain. My stupid old ways. He thought again. I should have asked Bradley. But then he'd get the lecture. Oh, Dad this. Oh, Dad that. He muttered under his breath. He didn't want to hear it. Now the girl had gone quiet. Uh, hello, he said. Uh, hello, she replied. He looked at the address he typed. Now it looked impossibly long. Had he joined four together? Plus, this internet thing, that didn't seem right. He frowned. Oh, oh God, dear. He just wanted the bloody thing to work. Suddenly, the girl's voice interrupted his thoughts. OK, now press return, sir. She paused. He didn't say anything. Press return, sir. She must have read his mind. The very big key on the right of your keyboard, sir, with the upward arrow, arrow, arrow. What arrow? It had a key saying shift directly below. Ah, yeah. Ah, that one. Yes, I found it. He pushed it. Aha! Uh -huh. Something was happening. His screen momentarily blanked itself. And then the word site loading appeared. At last, his computer clearly connected. Oh, great. He was back online again and he sighed loudly. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, thank you. And he hung up. A bit too quickly, he'd felt. Cutting off her cheery thank you for call. Oh, damn. That was rude, he felt. Well, it couldn't be helped. Uh, what, what was her name? Manjula Manj... Oh. He couldn't remember. He should have written it down. Ah, then he remembered the pen running out. Anyway, he was back online. And he looked back at the screen. The little blue ball spun around again. Come on, come on. He impatiently tapped his useless pen on his knee. Get on with it, get on with it. And then the screen blinked brightly. Then a crisp blue page ran down from the top, had a logo watermarked through it. Welcome. Welcome? He peered at it. Oh, this, this must be his broadband login. Had to be. And then an icon appeared. Ah, excellent. Enter password. He tapped away. It was his old car registration and the cat's initials, Mr Socks. His full name, Mr Clinton Bobby Socks. C-B-C. -C. Incorrect password. Damn. 
He entered it again, this time slowly. Incorrect password. He could feel his temper rising again. Bloody thing. Now annoyed, he tugged his printed password sheet from the drawer and he pictured his son Bradley's face, rolling his eyes. Dad, that's not safe, that's just silly. He narrowed his eyes. Look, he'd get it right this way. He tapped again. Incorrect password. No, it was correct, you He hissed at the computer and now in a fit of pique, he pressed random keys. Ha, huh, maybe it would ask him to reset his password. He'd read that somewhere. Nothing happened. He pressed some more keys. And then the page went grey. A large box appeared, and in it it said, You are entered into the zone. Full clearance. Please state your request. And then a drop-down menu appeared. He took his glasses off and squinted at it. Oh dear, where were his other glasses? Oh, on his head. <laughs> he shook himself. Right, here we go. He read the drop-down list again. That was odd. Couldn't find broadband. He read it again. Ah, yeah. It came to him. Different names. Bradley had explained. Sometimes different companies called things differently. Right. Hmm. Why did they have to make it so bloody complicated? He'd had an altercation at the cafe the other week. Some stroppy manager. Why not just say men's and women's for the bathroom instead of blokes and sheilas? What kind of nonsense was that? It was like that idiocy with the dustman. Waste technician, my arse, he thought. And he glared at the screen again. There were five options. Arrays, reset, recall, educate, pause. Hmm. He racked his brain. Uh, reset, yes, that would be it. Yes, he wanted to reset his broadband, higher speed. Suddenly, he felt very pleased with himself. And he could see his son Bradley's face, that patient one, the one he didn't like. The pitying one. That's about as I can do this. He pressed on reset and then another page loaded very quickly. Interesting, amazing graphics, sharp and clear. Oh, it was a map of the world. You had to choose where you were. Ah, his cursor hovered over China. He moved it. There it was, the United Kingdom. Very small. Oh, well, click. It went grey. Perfect, he thought. Now what? And his finger hesitated until a new menu dropped down. It had a list of cities. Excellent. He scrolled down it quickly. London, yes, London. Click. Where else do you bloody think Peru? He clicked again. This was easy. Then another box. Are you sure? Yes, he was sure. Do you have authorization? Yes, he thought. It's my bloody broadband. His click was getting a bit harder and he had to calm down. Now the map appeared to spin around. Whoa, it's in 3D. Very impressive. These broadband companies, they really knew what they were doing. Downstairs, the doorbell suddenly rang. That's the postman, he thought. He wasn't expecting anything else. Ah, he can leave it on the step. This stuff was complicated enough. He looked at the computer again. He, he wouldn't mention this to Bradley. He'd just get the lecture. How he should always call him. He was there if Dad needed him. Worse, you're not getting any younger. Yeah, little smug bastard. It's funny he never mentioned the time he shit himself in Sainsbury's. Who'd had to sort that out? Yeah, me, he thought. Me. Well, admittedly been four years old, but still. On the screen, the map had whirled around, and then it had stopped. London. It was great. It was really detailed. You could see every borough. Arrays. He clicked on it. 
Jesus, just all this to raise his old broadband. Nothing happened, and then a minute passed. He sighed, fighting the urge to punch the screen. Now a new message appeared. Arrays in motion. Right. Now we're getting somewhere. And then another box appeared, its edges flashing on and off. Please move to bunker immediately. Now sending emergency evacuation alerts to all persons on the security clearance level 5 list. He stared at the screen. Selected neutralising contamination zone. London area. Full burn procedure. Ensure all emergency bunker doors were closed. Now a beeping was coming from his speaker. Turning on all ultra air filtration units now. One hour remaining. And a clock appeared, tapping away in the far corner of his screen. Toxin B, triple six, loading. Limited tactical nuclear device deploying. A new tinny beeping began. Follow lockdown procedure. See protocol alpha 4096. What? Was this the broadband? And now a new image loaded, a video of some kind, in the top corner of his screen. It was some kind of concrete shaft full of pipes and things. What, what the hell was all this? Then a new camera angle flashed up in a small box, light flooding down, and he could see a view of the sky. And a voice said, Hatches open. Launch countdown will commence in 10, 9, 8. A loud beeping sound started up. He rubbed at his glasses. It was... It, they weren't pipe... They were missiles. They were bloody great missiles, like in the fields. What the hell? Now a new page ran down his screen. Another message box. Checking all detectors. Warning. No space plague detected. Error. No space plague detected. Error. What the... What the hell was space plague? Do you still want to proceed with nuclear launch? His palms were sweaty now. Missiles? Space plague? Jesus, he was just trying to fix the broadband and he felt his chest start to tighten. A big box saying abort appeared. He quickly clicked on it. Nothing happened. Bloody hell, he clicked on it again. And suddenly the countdown stopped and then the beeping went silent. Now another message appeared. Missile launch aborted. Moving to stop alert. Sending cancel commands to all stations. Cancelling email alerts. Returning bunkers to standby. He sat back. He rubbed his head, his chest now relaxing, relief flooding through him. Resetting. Finally, the screen went blank and a large box appeared. Do you wish to follow another protocol, Prime Minister? He stood up. Prime Minister? He switched off the laptop. He switched off the box. The little blue light went out and his breathing was now coming fast, his legs trembling and the room seemed warm. Finally, he unplugged the laptop from the wall and pushed it under the bed. The broadband could wait and he breathed in and sat down. He wouldn't tell Bradley. Well, I hope that one actually gave you a laugh. So, and with a bit of luck, um, it caught you a bit by surprise at the ending. So we're coming up to the final story today. And this one's called Service on a Sunday. And I'm hoping this one will surprise you as well. Remember, some of these stories, well, they're designed to fool you so you don't know how it's going to end. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. I follow the law. 
It's there to guarantee that chaos does not ensue. And in some ways, it's also there to protect us, all of us. And that can create issues of rights and such. But, and I'm the first to admit it, sometimes it lets us down badly. It fails to protect us for many diverse reasons. And when that happens, innocent people can and do suffer. And the police and the criminal justice system just cannot help them. I know, but it's a sad truth. Now, when, once again, certain people can both amaze and surprise you, that's when you start to think, there's a story there. And my next file was no exception. So now I'm thinking how Phil thinks. This one is service on Sunday. Retirement. For many, is the end of a long career. Time to sit back forget the cares and pressures of work and drift gently and peacefully into old age. And many people choose the countryside. They escape the hurly-burly, hustle-and-bustle world of the city. And one such bucolic retirement place was the tiny village of Middle Wallop come Hardy, set in the rolling hills close by the South Downs. Now, this was an absolutely picture-postcard of an English village, complete with roses round the cottage doors, way off the beaten track. And it was a small place. It boasted about 40 houses, two stables, one church, one community pub, and of course, one sadly now long since closed, tiny general post office and stores. Now, it was lost in the middle of the countryside, and it wasn't a place where anything much happened, really, until the report I was involved in crossed my desk. More of a formality, really. But in this case, various ends just had to be tied up, so I was duly consulted. Now, I had specialist knowledge in the field, so they got me involved, and I duly filled my part of the report. However, it wasn't actually the reason, quite really, that I'd been called in for, but it did make me look a little closer at the case. Honestly, it was tragic, really. It was an all-too-familiar story in our modern times, sadly, and that being namely a case of aggressive trespass, a law which, if you're familiar with, is very difficult for the police to get involved with or, in fact, do anything about. Now, in this particular case, a trespass and incursion onto waste ground, just outside the place I just mentioned, the village of Middle Wallop, come Hardy. Now, our charming invaders were a group of bikers, numbering around 15 or so, who, just like locusts, arrived one early Tuesday morning and proceeded to set up a camp. Now, how they come across the place, we've got no idea, but come across it they did, and they now proceeded to make the local residents' lives a living nightmare. And this was almost all the worse, being that A, the average age of the local residents was around 85 years old, and B, they were all retired folk, you know, living out their days in quiet rest and gardening. For many, just the joy of digging and planting and gathering in the blooms and produce was a lovely way to pass the time in the peace and quiet of their little village. Now, one of the sweetest bits of reading, and I mean that, I've ever done, was me looking at a report from the local parish council. And this was chaired by one Mr Reginald Dawson, a retired firefighter, aged 75, and his colleague, a Mr Clive Nicholson, a retired camping shop owner aged 83, where they both stated, 
Would it be possible to come to an arrangement with our new visitors? Said visitors being part of a small motorbike gang charmingly known as the Black Spider chapter and very much known to my other colleagues. Well, amazingly, in this day and age, the motorbike club known as the Hells Angels still actually exists. Yeah, I didn't know that. But they are, however, a real mixed bunch. Some of them, they just like riding bikes, taking part in communal rides. Some, well, they find enjoyment in fighting with rival gangs. Others like in potential and often definite criminal activity. And in this particular case, clearly causing a public nuisance. Now, before their arrival are Mr Dawson, Mr Nicholson and their fellow elderly retired residents and enjoyed the peace and quiet that you only get in a small English country village miles from anywhere. However, that peace and quiet was soon shattered and that's when the villagers approached my local police colleagues for assistance. Now, when it comes to trespass, I'm slightly ashamed to admit the law does not give us many strong or fast tools to fight it. You see, the main problem being how the law actually works. You see, it might sound terrible, but in the case of the village of Middle Wallop come hardy, despite the noise, the fires on public ground where the Black Spider Gang had set up their camp, including the human excrement and waste, in short, a living bloody nightmare, surprisingly, none of that stuff is actually entirely illegal or an easily nickable offence. It's really tricky to prosecute these cases. You just ask any local authority lawyer. In fact, the law becomes alarmingly grey and complicated in punishable or criminal prosecutory terms as far as trespass is concerned. And that is a fact that was obviously known to our crew of scumbags. The first police officer report stated, We responded to appeals from the local residents of the village of Middle Wallop come Hardy, stating that a group of individuals with no immediate connection to the area had set up a small encampment on a piece of open public ground next to the graveyard of St Mary's Church. We attended the scene, we took witness statements and on further investigation ascertained that said individuals had made a rough sort of tented camp and would also light a large bonfire every evening. The residents informed us the said individuals would generally depart in the day but return around 10 o'clock at night. This return was then accompanied by hours of loud music, yelling and generally loud and boisterous noisy behaviour. And sadly, and it says here, see attached additional pictorial evidence, which, sorry, you can't see, but apparently they'd even knocked over some gravestones in the St Mary's Church graveyard tragically one actually belonging to Mr Dawson's late wife. However, and here's your problem, as no witnesses were present or could be found, no police action could be taken. It's terrible, I know. The local borough council had been appraised of the situation and they were trying all possible channels to assist both us and the local residents, but to no avail. You see, compounding the issue stated previously, other residents have started to report being disturbed by motorcycle engines, revving loudly, bikes speeding up and down nearby local roads. And all of this was clearly a blight on all the residents' quality of life. Remember, retired elderly residents. Now, my colleague's report then listed various other examples of antisocial behaviour. In short, and not to venture into pun territory, but the villager's life was being made hell by the Hell's Angels. 
Now, as another report went on to point out, the local council had tried their best to intervene. But you see, they too fell at the first hurdle. Trespass law is just so wide open, getting banning orders against individuals, let alone groups, being notoriously difficult, and it requires months and months in some cases. And of course, then there's your lack of evidence of criminality, provable cause. In short, the villagers were pretty much left to their own devices until the incredibly slow and grinding gears of justice could eventually kick in. That's assuming they could even get started. Now, despite my colleagues' best and determined efforts, and again, I have to apologise and blame our useless government for the chronic underfunding and lack of manpower allocated to the very thin blue line that is stretched tight a year on year. However, the situation eventually, amazingly, resolved itself but in a most unusual way, which strangely was not the reason that brought the case across my desk. You see, gangs of this type always engage in what we term low-level criminal activity. Some of it not so low-level, to be honest. And this is an area where we, the police, hoped we could get rid of the villagers' pest problem. Turns out, the local inspector had managed to allocate two undercover officers into tracking the gang's movement, just to see if they could be caught doing something in the execution of their normal and very typical dodgy activities. Now, these were, in the main, the sale of illegal drugs, the sale and handling of stolen goods, and the sale and supply, and think about this one, of illegal weaponry. This is all standard operation for these types, and a search warrant of their encampment was sought, to cover and further explore these potential crimes. And eventually, one was finally obtained. A dawn raid being planned, with some 20-plus officers for the following Tuesday. You see, it takes a fair bit of time to put this stuff together, and a lot of money. Now, they'd coordinated with the police borough commander and the local council officers, and they had an array of people all ready to turn up. Bailiffs, police, dogs, vans, you name it, they had it because they wanted to guarantee their best chance of success. However, a quite happy accident sorted this situation before the raid could even take place. Amazing, yeah? Now, as I understand it, there was an explosion of some kind, a largish one at that, and it completely destroyed the gang's encampment. It left 15 seriously injured, four with medium to light injuries, and it destroyed a number of motorbikes. It turned out that all the casualties had been seated around that large campfire, remember, they would set every evening, and it had been around midnight. And one of the five casualties, later initially able to be questioned, had eventually admitted to the general possession of certain items, including a large box of military thunder flashes. These are quite lethal grenade-like devices, primarily used in military exercises. They're not deadly, and they merely kind of make a big big bang and smoke. But they're illegal and very dangerous to possess. Further, when questioned, two of the other casualties admitted, the idiots, to throwing four of these into the air, but not actually into the fire. They went on to say they'd utilised other devices in the previous days. They depleted one whole box of them, and they bought those to sell. Now add to that little lot, a crate of emergency flares. Yeah, the ones they use on lifeboats, and they use six of them. And now, the good bit. Illegally, two boxes of shotgun cartridges, two sawn-off shotguns, 
And of course, the report made it clear that they were bang to rights on that. However, they'd noted in the other witness statements, it pointed to various drunken antics. That's what they put it down to, including the throwing of some of those thunder flashes and the setting off of flares. Ten of the other casualties later testing as having five times the normal amount of alcohol in their bloodstreams. Six testing for banned and thoroughly illegal narcotics. So, the investigating officer's conclusion was this. Some of these illegal and volatile explosive items must have been mistakenly placed or flung into the bonfire. The resultant explosion causing the varied injuries that received by all the buggers sitting around the place. The hospital report went on to state that all the injuries were consistent with the nature of the explosion. And that was the investigating officer's initial and final finding. Now, as if that wasn't enough, add to that lot the final area search, which revealed more illegal weaponry, a large bag of cocaine and three bags of MDMA tablets. So it was pretty clear our lovely biker friends were not exactly a family-friendly crew. And so no one was too highly bothered about our now severely injured scumbag happy campers. And with our budgets being tight, the whole thing was wrapped up very quickly. And happily, middle wallop come hardy, returned back to its familiar peace and quiet. Now, from time to time, the police ambulance and the fire officers had checked in on all the elderly residents, whom thankfully had not been harmed in any way, although some had admitted to being a little frightened. As in a statement taken from Miss Eliza Green, poor love, aged 89, who admitted to being startled by the terrible noisy fireworks show that ended with the big rocket. <laughs> but thankfully for Miss Green and her neighbours, the whole incident was now considered closed. Now again attached to my report, and I really want to read you this, there was a rather charming notation taken from the parish register, simply stating from our rather sweet Mr Dawson and Mr Nicholson, our visitors have now left visitors, the brave and bold women of our local emergency services having our eternal and grateful thanks for their valiant and vigilant service. And it noted that the only sad note in the whole affair was the passing of Mr B. Levy, a valued resident of the village. Services to be held on Sunday. May he rest in peace after a job well done. So clearly one of the older guys hadn't made it. Sad really. Now, my own involvement and that of my team had actually been in regard to the certain amount of weaponry found on two of the undamaged bikes, to wit, the two sawn-off shotguns and a mysterious Eastern European handgun. You see, the handgun was the most deadly because it was part of an ongoing investigation we had concerning illegal weapons being smuggled into the UK. And that investigation was about who exactly had brought it into the country. Was it their friends, some other bikers, that's what we needed to find out. But of course, our local biker witnesses all clammed up, as expected, and they all faced myriad of other charges, so they thought best stay mum. As for me and my team, we got on with handgun tracing, and quite frankly, we forgot about the rest of it, and my later files were closed. Now, that would have been the end of it all, had it not been for me bumping into an old ex-colleague, a mate of mine, Let's call him Frank. He was retired like me, 
but he came from the fire service, ex-military bloke, who also thought the whole story was rather wonderful. Now, we go a long way back, me and Frank. We were both high-ranking officers, and we shared many of our little off-limits files over the year, because that's what those kind of people do, aren't they? Anyway, so as in many of our other visits, I let him flick through this one, the biker case. And it was really fun watching him laughing uproariously at some of the witness statements. His favourite line being obviously assisted by a very droll police officer. It's saying, at this point, I noticed my trousers were on fire, so I decided to remove them despite there being ladies present. God, we laughed about that one. So anyway, Frank was flicking through the pages and then he stopped and he pointed at two things. The first one was a police photographer's shot of the exploded campfire area. And the second, and this was my favourite bit, was the final parish report from our lovely Mr Dawson and Mr Nicholson. Now Frank was grinning at me at this stage, like a Cheshire cat. And then he just got a bit of paper out and he wrote these words. Boiling, liquid, expanding, vapour explosion. Well, I don't know what the hell that meant and I must have looked a bit puzzled. But then he said, look, I'll admit, mate, it's not common knowledge. But did you know if a can of gas bottle gets heated up, it can go off like a bomb, you know. They're under a huge amount of pressure. You see, the liquid gas inside expands and expands and until the still cylinder, it just can't take it. And then do you know what happens? Boom, that's what happens. Then he smiled again and paused. You see, I mean, if someone was to say, bury one, uh, bottom side up, say underneath the place people would light a campfire for example i tell you what would happen after a couple of hours it'd make a bloody big hole and it would fling metal and stuff in every direction plus and this was the kicker it would go upwards like a bloody big rocket you know that don't you and then he looked me directly in the face and of course his expression was completely neutral yeah i say that but of course you'd need to know about it you know like say anyone involved in portable heating or camping or in the fire service because you know every firefighter covers that in their basic training <laughs> but anyway what do I know probably just a big coincidence and he smiled again and he ran his fingers over the photocopied parish report poor old Mr B Levy hmm I hope he had a nice service and then he pointed back to his bit of paper and now he touched each capital letter with his pen B L E V E. Sweet old Mr. Dawson and Mr. Nicholson. I'm not sure what to say, but I think I'll leave you with this. Rest in peace, Mr. B. Levy, who saved his village in a way that I guess you could say was a little bit clever. Justice, though, is funny sometimes, isn't it? But it does catch up with people. Not always, but sometimes it does. And isn't it brilliant? Well, once again, I hope you enjoyed that one. And do remember, listening every week, there's always new story episodes coming up and we're planning it all the time. And we're, we've got a big, broad range of stories. And sometimes as we curate them, we talk about them because if we think that we're giving you something that might just take you away from this world briefly, make you smile, make you laugh. Hopefully, sometimes we're going to scare you. We've got ghost and horror stories coming up in the next selections. And by now, and if you're not, you're probably getting aware that our main platform is 
www.thestoryhive.co.uk. That's our main platform where you can find the huge body of all our work. But the stories on here are taken from there deliberately because we think they're the ones that you're going to really, really enjoy. Not to say you shouldn't enjoy all the rest on the platform. Well, that's about it from me. So, as always, I like to leave you with a little thought. And today's thought is, I hope your day goes well. And the world is just full of positive excitement just for you. Okay, bye now. Mm -hmm.